You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. God, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Father, we sing your praises because you are great. Lord, and we know your greatness. Those of us who are walking with Jesus Christ know your goodness, your love, your greatness towards us in giving us your son, in giving us breath, Lord, so we can stand here and sing. And God, we praise you for that goodness and that we get to experience your greatness every day. Father, I pray for the person in this room, Lord, who does not know your greatness. Lord, they're trusting in themselves. They're not trusting in you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. You would show them your greatness. As the Bible is open, they would see your greatness, your goodness. They would see the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ, and they would turn to him, Lord, today. And God, for those who are walking with Jesus Christ, I pray that we, from hearing from your word, would be built up in our faith. Lord, that we would go from here with hearts full of praise as we think about how good you've been to us. And I pray for myself now, Lord, that you would help me as one who gets the privilege of serving your people by preaching. God, would you give me the right words for my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who in the room who I know well and those who I don't know well, would you use me, help me, Lord, to encourage them and build them up in their faith. In Jesus' name we pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand the word, that helps us also to be able to do your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Help us now. Amen. Amen. It's good to get to be with you guys. I thought we got busy in worship in Brampton, but that was like something else, man. That was, so it's good to get to hang out with you. I, like uh, Brett said, Brett's my buddy. We used to serve in youth ministry together. Glad to not be doing youth ministry anymore, but, um, you know, so. But uh, Brett, we're good friends. We got to spend some time on retreats together and stuff, so it's good to see him. And so I'm here with my wife, Kim. She's over there, and uh, we brought our boys. Uh, their names are Zion. That is River over there. River is not a big fan of Harvest Kids. He's like, Dad, why are you doing this to me right now? Um, uh, he's, he's there, and uh, his brother, his younger brother, his name is Eiffel. And so a way you can pray for us is for us to figure out a name for our fourth kid, because the three of them got weird names, and so we can't name the next guy Bill. Like, we can't really do that, you know? So... so. Pray for us, because we don't, honestly don't know what to do. So Zion, River, and, uh, and Eiffel, we, we love them. If you're worried, we gave them all normal middle names, Michael, Craig, and Ray. So if they want to change it later, they're good to go, you know? So just be uh, praying for us uh, that way. So, and you can be praying for us in the church plant. It, you know, we're kind of just getting rolling. We've had two prayer meetings, and we've got another prayer meeting coming up in August. And uh, 
Yeah, we just, we're just trusting that God's going to sort it out for us and build it however uh, he wants. So you can be praying that God would draw the people that he wants to it and that we would just kind of stick to the plan. It's so easy to uh, start kind of trying different methods other than praying and just opening the Bible and saying, if we do these things, then God is going to do his thing. So just pray for us to stick to the plan that way. Now, if you've got a Bible, you can go to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. And now through, throughout our life, we make commitments as we go along. You, when you track it, you are committed all the time to certain things in your life. People make commitments to diets. Different points in our life will commit to a diet, or, or sometimes people commit to reading Kindle over using books. And I've given in this week and bought a Kindle. It was Amazon Prime Day, so I couldn't help it. But I figured I can do both. I can read the Kindle and, and read a regular books. Sometimes people commit to Apple over Samsung. People commit to exercise. People commit to not eating meat. People commit to relationships. People commit to using public transit over driving cars. People commit to sports teams. People commit to grocery stores. Like we're really into the superstore because all the checkout lines are always open. So we're committed there. People are committed to Netflix, maybe, over cable. People commit to churches, right? You guys have done that. You come here, and you're like, you know what? This is a church where the word is preached, and worship is powerful, and it's a, I've got gifts, and I can use my gifts here, and so I settle down, and I call it home. You've committed here. Sometimes people commit to summer reading lists. Whatever your commitments are, I know for a fact you have a reason for doing it. And I hope your reason for doing it is Good, because sometimes we make commitments and our reasons for doing them aren't good. We'll commit to something, but the, the, the reason driving it isn't a good one. I committed to a summer reading list two years ago. But my reasons for doing it weren't good. The reason why I committed to the reading list was because I wanted to look smart. And so I spent that, that summer reading some of the most boring books on earth. And it's because I committed to someone else's reading list. So my reasons weren't good in choosing to do that. And just like we make commitments, we choose to do certain things, the psalmist, the writer of Psalm 146, he commits to doing something. He commits to doing something. He commits to praising God for all times, for his entire life. And he commits to doing it in every moment, in high moments and in low moments. But what we're going to see is that his reasons for doing it are great. That his reasons for choosing to do this with his life, that he has great reasons for doing it. And he does it. He chooses to do this because of who God is and what God does in the life of anyone who trusts him. He commits to praising God for all times because of who God is and what God does in the life. And we're going to see in our life for those who have trust, trusted in him. Now, the commitment the psalmist makes is the commitment that we are called to make. The commitment that he makes with his life is the commitment that is actually put before us in the text. And we can make that Commitment, And we're going to see that when we choose to, when we choose to praise God, when we, when we give him praise, we are praising the one who is worthy of praise. 
We're going to see from the text, when we look and when we stop and we reflect and we think about what God has done for us, we're going to see that he is worthy, worthy of praise, not sometimes, but all times, every moment of our lives. And so look at verse 1 with me of Psalm 146. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now, four times the word praised is used in those two verses. The writer first calls everyone to praise the Lord. Now, some translations has this thing, hallelujah. And what he is saying is that in the congregation where this psalm would have been sung is he's saying, everyone join me in praising God, joining me in doing this and praising the one who is worthy of praise. So he calls people, everyone to praise God with him. And then he tells his own soul to praise. Then he tells his own soul to praise. He says, I will praise the Lord Sorry, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He speaks to his soul. Now there's a lesson in that for us. There's a lesson in it because there's times in our life when it's not easy to praise God. That we don't just get up, we don't just roll out of bed and like, I'm into it today. There's more, it's not easy to praise God. And that's because we live in a world that is broken by sin. We live in a world where we experience suffering, where hard things roll onto our doorstep, where unexpected things show up. And in those moments, it threatens to steal the joy from our life, to rob the, the joy from our heart, and it makes praise difficult. But you know what you can do in those moments? You can engage in a good little bit of self-talk. Just a good little bit of self-talk. You can speak to your soul. And you can say, soul, think about what God has done for you. Think about who God is. Think about the, the struggle that is in your life. Yes, but that struggle has not changed your position with God. That struggle has not changed the gospel. That struggle has not changed the reality of who you are in Christ. That will never change. You speak to your soul. You tell your soul what is true. And then you know what you do? You turn and you praise. You find encouragement in what is true when that hard thing rolls in. So he speaks to his soul. He says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He calls others to praise, tells his own soul to praise. Then he commits to a life of praise. He commits to a life of praise. Verse 2, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. He says, I will do this as long as I live. He gives his whole life to this. He's like, this is what I am choosing to do. This is what I am committed to today and every day after this. I am giving my life to this. Now, when we hear that word praise, what often comes into our mind is singing. When we hear praise, often what comes into our mind is singing. Just like when we hear church, what comes into our mind? Building. But just like the church is more than a building, praise is more than just singing. Praise is more than just singing. See, it's right 
for us to sing praise to God. As the Bible says, with joy in our hearts. It's right for us to do that. Even if you're not a good singer, it's right for you to sing praise to God, you know, shouting loud, hands raised, whatever it is, whatever you're into, whatever your thing is. Even if your singing isn't great. I sing at home all the time and the boys are like, Dad, you gotta stop that, bro. But I sing anyway. Why? Because God hears. I'm not singing for them. Because he hears, and it is a sweet sound in his ear, even if it's a shriek in the ear of my kids. He hears it, and he loves it. And so it's right for us to praise and sing praises to God. But praise, singing, sorry, is just one aspect of praise. There's also talking. There's also talking. We praise God by talking about him to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, the classmates, the people in our lives. See, I can, I can, I can sit my, my oldest son down, who he started swimming last week, and, and at the beginning it was a real struggle. But then after, you know, going like a few times, he got better and better. And as we're driving home, I'm like, bro, you were killing it today. You were diving off stuff, and you almost cracked your head off something, but don't worry about that. <laughs> That was going really, you were, you were doing a great job. I'm so proud of you. I can, I can sing his praises to him, but then I can also tell you guys, I'm very proud of my son. That I went in all nervous and thought he was going to, you know, embarrass himself and all kind of stuff, but the, the dude can swim all of a sudden. And I'm, and I'm very proud of him. And it's the same with God. We can, we can be in our house saying, God, thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for the ways that you love me. Then we can walk across our lawn and we can say, hey, neighbor, let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you about what God is doing in my life. Let me tell you about what God is doing in my city. Let me tell you about God, what God is doing in my church. Let me tell you what God is doing in the world. Let me tell you what God can do for you if you place your faith and your trust in him. We praise God by singing, yes, but also by talking about him. Singing, talking, and also living. We praise God by the way we live our lives. When we live lives that are worthy of the gospel, that brings praise to God. Do you know why? Because it's not us. It's the Spirit of God that is living in your new heart, that is making it possible, that's giving you the power to do what you are doing. And the praise goes to God because it's Him working in you when we consider other people's interests above our own. When we treat other people, believers and unbelievers, with dignity and respect because they're made in the image of God, that is an act of praise. When we steward well the gifts that God has given us, the resources that he has given in our life, our time, our money, our gifts. If you are in this church and you are a believer in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And you have it in such a unique way that no one else has it. But if you are not using that gift to build up this church, I'm going to be bold here, you're being selfish. You're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are on the bench, so to speak, today is the day to get off the bench, to use, to steward well the resource that God has given you, that spiritual gift that is meant to build up the body of Christ and expand the kingdom of God in Niagara and around the world. Use the gift. It's a way to love, and it's a way to praise God with your life. 
So we sing, we talk, and we live. We live in such a way that all the praise goes to God because his spirit is working in us. The writer makes a commitment to do this. And then he goes on to give us three really great reasons why he is doing it. Three great reasons why he's committing to do this with his life. Here's the first one. It's because God is our eternal hope. He's our eternal hope. Verse 3, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So the writer now turns and he gives us a warning. He says, put not your trust in princes. Now, he's not saying don't trust in Prince Harry. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, don't put your faith, your hope, your trust in people who look powerful, in people who are influential. It's the people in our context, is that savvy political leader, that spiritual leader who's got, you know, selling all kinds of books, speaking everywhere and everything like that. And you're thinking, I really want to lean on this person, that influential celebrity, the people with the cash people with the political capital, the people who post one thing on their social media account and all of a sudden, everybody is buzzing about it. That's who he's saying, don't put your trust in those types of people, even some of those people who do very good things. There are people in our world who do very good things. They start good movements, they start good programs, they do things that really help people, but we are still not to put our trust and our hope in those people. And here's why, verse four. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. They die. We are mortal. And when that influential, that powerful person, when they die, all of their great plans, all of those things that they're doing, it all comes to an end. It all stops. And so we are not to put our hope in them. We're mortal. There, this, this, this verse that speaks of, the, uh, of the, the, the mortality of the person who is influential should remind us of our mortality. That there is a day coming where death is coming to all of us. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death. Because, because in Christ, when we, when we die, we, we don't enter into misery. We enter into a life of joy. For all times. That's why it says, death, where is your sting? And so we we face death with confidence, with joy, because we are in Christ. But while we wait on death, we shouldn't waste any days. We shouldn't waste any of the moments that God has given us. Think about how much better you would treat the people in your life if you would just consider that this might be my last moment with them. If we would be like Moses who says, teach us, Lord, to number our days. Why? So that we could get a heart after you. We should not waste any of the moments that God has given us. We should enjoy, we should enjoy vacation and summertime when that comes along. But we should also be thinking seriously about the people in our life and the time that we get with them, but also the opportunities that we have to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and waste none of the moments that God has given us. Death is in front of us. 
Do we face it with confidence? But in the meantime, we also use it as a motivator to live in God-honoring, serious, and very committed ways. The influential, they cannot save us. The writer wants us not trusting in them. The writer wants us trusting in the one who can save. He wants all our hope in the one who can save. And when all our hope is in the Lord, we're blessed. When all our hope is in God, we're blessed. You're like, where'd you get that from? Verse 5. I'm not lying to you. It's blessed. See it? Is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. See, the person who hopes in the Lord is blessed because, because they have God on their side. They have the creator of the universe, the one who made all things, the one who is guiding all things by his good providence. That is who you have at your side, walking with you at all times. When all our hope is in God, it is in the one who is eternal. This is why we don't put our hope and our trust in princes. They're only going to be around for so long, but God is going to be there for all Times And the one who is eternal is with us. He's also the one who's completely trustworthy. Verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. The CSB, I think, translates this verse actually better. It says, he remains faithful forever. God is faithful. When we stand together and we sing, great is thy faithfulness, we should sing that loudly with confidence because it's true. There's never going to be a moment in your life where God is going to abandon you. He is completely faithful and trustworthy. Whatever God says he is going to do, he is going to do it. See, God is not like the pizza man. Right? They say they're going to be there in 30 minutes and they show up in an hour and 30 minutes and then you got to be like, am I getting this for free? I don't know, sir. You're late. God's not that way. When God says something, you can take it to the bank. He is reliable. He is completely trustworthy. This is a great reminder for believers. It's a great reminder for believers that having all of your hope in God will not be in vain. All of your eggs in the basket of God, all of your hope in that basket will not be in vain. God has promised to save us and he is carrying out that promise right now. That's also why it says in the Bible, he who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion. He's going to finish what he started. And we can trust him on that. All of our hope being in God will not be in vain. It's a reminder to believers, but it's a call also to unbelievers. It's a call to those who are not trusting in Christ because it's telling you that if you have your hope in anything else other than God, that that is going to be in vain. 
And I don't say that in any way to be rude to you or to put you down in any way. I'm just trying to tell you the truth from the word of God. That if you are trusting in anything else, if you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in someone else, whatever it is other than Jesus Christ, that is going to be in vain. And when death rolls onto your doorstep, you are going to be standing before the creator of the world, your creator, without the advocate, Jesus Christ. But that does not have to be your reality. You don't have to face that moment without Jesus Christ because God in his grace is, is speaking through his word and saying today is the day to turn. Today is the day to put all of your hope, all of your faith, all of your trust in Jesus Christ, the one who can save you. The one who, the moment you do that, gives you hope and will lead you and guide you for all times. Today is the day to turn and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now, wherever you are sitting. God is being good to you in saying this through his word, by using me to say that to you. Today is the day to turn and to trust. We cannot save ourselves. God is the only one who can do that. And that's why, that's why we commit to praising him for all times. Praising him, no matter what rolls into our lives. God is our only hope and we praise him for this. We also praise him because he's our help. We praise him because he's our eternal help. Verse seven, it says, who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In these verses, we are given a list of the ways that God helps the needy. And then in verse 8, we're told that the Lord loves the righteous, that he loves the righteous. Now, anytime someone is called righteous in the Psalms, it's speaking of someone who is needy. Someone who has great need, but in the midst of their need, they don't trust in themselves or trust in princes. In the midst of their need, they turn to the Lord for help. And it says that he loves the righteous. These people in, this ver- in these verses are called righteous because in their history, in the midst of their struggle, when, 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 when suffering sort of rolled onto the door of the people of Israel, that they had a temptation to trust in princes. But they turned to God. See, what's happening here is these people are being contrasted with the people at the end of verse 9. They're being contrasted. It says, the Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked... He brings to ruin. The wicked is the person who trusts in themselves. The wicked is the person who looks to someone else other than God in the midst of their need. And notice that it says it does not go well for that person. It says that things come to ruin for that person. See, things go well for the person who looks to God for help. The person who knows that there is an eternal help that we can turn to, who will meet all our needs. See, the Lord loves the righteous, the people who trust him. And this is actually meant to encourage us. 
Because we're called righteous. Believers in Jesus Christ are called righteous, but it's not because of our righteousness. It's not because we have lived perfect and holy lives. We are called righteous because Jesus Christ lived a perfect and holy life. See, Jesus lived his life as an act of praise and trust in his heavenly Father. See, when I read verse 2, put not your trust in princes, right away I know I'm in trouble. I immediately know that I have a problem when I read, put not your trust in princes, because I know how much I've trusted in myself, and I'm not a prince. Surprise? I know that I lived 25 years of my life just doing my own thing, thinking that I can figure out every difficult situation without anybody's help, without God's help. I don't need anyone. That's how I lived 25 years of my life, trusting in myself. And maybe if you're honest, when you stop and you think, you could look back even this week where there's been many moments of trusting in yourself. That a hard thing came up and you could have turned to God, but you turned to something else. See, we do that. But Jesus Christ has never done that. He has never turned to people. John chapter 2 says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Jesus faced every temptation we face, the Bible says. And so just like we are tempted to trust in people, Jesus was tempted with that. But he never did that. He never looked to people. He always, always had all of his hope and trust in his heavenly Father. He entrusted himself to him and his righteous life, his perfect and righteous life is now credited to us. Those who are trusting in Christ, what we get is an imputed righteousness. And so when God looks at you, when God looks at me, he sees his son. He sees his perfect life credited to us. And that's why we are called righteous. And when we turn to Jesus Christ, when we put our faith and our hope in him, he gave us all of the help that we need. Do you know that Jesus Christ does everything for us listed in these verses, everything that we're told that God did for these people, Jesus Christ does these things in our lives. We are oppressed. And maybe we're sitting in these sort of comfy chairs and we're like, I don't really feel oppressed. And here in North America, we don't feel the oppression the way some other Christians feel oppression. That we get to be here and thank God that we can do this, open our Bibles, meet together and sing. But that's not the reality for every believer on earth. There are people right now who are meeting together, but they're doing that in a cave. Because in the country that they're in, to follow Jesus Christ costs you your life. But they are gathering together anyway because they are praising the one who is eternal, the one who is good to us. And so we don't feel the oppression in the ways that they feel, but maybe there's a time coming where we will feel that. But even when that oppression comes, we don't have to execute justice ourselves. We don't have to t I don't have to take things into my own hands. I can do what the Bible says. 
I can continue to entrust my soul to a faithful creator while doing good. I can look to the person who is oppressing me, who is doing things to me that I don't really like, and I can still love them. In the midst of the persecution, I can love them. Why? Because Jesus will execute justice. So I don't have to take it into my hands. I can leave it to him that in his perfect timing, he will sort all of it out. And then what I do in that moment is pray and ask the spirit to help me. I don't want to do things on my own. I'm looking to the spirit. I'm saying, help me to love, to love, to love, to love, because you will execute justice. We hunger for righteousness. And when we come to Jesus Christ, he satisfies that hunger. We, we were prisoners to sinful habits. But many of us are sitting in this room right now, and what do we know? We know freedom. That yes, that temptation creeps up the back of my neck, but I don't have to turn that way anymore. I can listen to the Holy Spirit who promises that in every temptation, when all that old habit comes back, that in every moment that he is going to provide a way of escape. And I don't have to say yes to that sinful habit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can say no. And I don't have to go back there. That is what it is to know freedom. We can live now in the gospel freedom that Jesus Christ has won for us. We were blind. But what did Jesus do? He spoke to us, and in his grace, he opened our eyes so that I can see myself clearly, so I can see other people clearly, so I can see the world clearly, so I can see where I'm going clearly, that there's a home for me, that I'm headed there. In his grace, he opens our eyes. Eyes. We have been in different times bowed down by grief. Again, a world broken by sin. So grief comes in. But in those moments of grief, when I ask Jesus, when I turn to him and I say, help me, what does he do? He lifts us up. He lifts us up because in the grief, he reminds us of who he is and what he has done in our life and how much he loves us in the midst of the mess and the pain. And we are lifted up. We are sojourners, the Bible says. We are sojourners here on earth. But what does the Bible also promise? That the sojourn is going to come to an end. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. I'm Jamaican, so my room's going to have jerk chicken in it. <laughs> it's a guarantee that we will not just be here on earth for all times in the midst of this brokenness, that the sojourn is going to come to an end, that we are going to be one day in the presence of our Heavenly Father for all times in joy. We were without a husband, but now as his church, we are his bride. And he is a faithful, loving, committed husband. We walked away from our Father. We chose sin. But what happened when we trusted in Jesus Christ? We were adopted into the family of God. We are not fatherless. All of these things Jesus Christ does in our life. He is our eternal help. That is why we praise him and thank him for his goodness. He gives us all of the help that we need. And now as people who have been helped in these ways. Do you know what we do? We help other people. See, we're not saved to just kind of hoard all this gospel goodness to ourselves while we wait on Jesus to come back and get us. We are supposed to be a light now. 
And when we reflect and think about the ways that Jesus Christ has helped us, we now know we can turn and help the hungry, the oppressed, the prisoner, the blind, the bowed down, the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless. Just think about what it would look like if the church would commit to this. There's many people in this room who I know are doing this, but what would it look like in Niagara if all of us committed to this kind of living? That we would help the poor, that we would help the needy, that we would help those people who are bowed down, who are broken. And you know how we can do it? We can start simply by praying. Praying and saying, Spirit, just show me that person. Lead me to that person who is needy. Lead me to that person who is hurting. Lead me to that person who Jesus says they're always with us. He says, you will always have the poor with you. Always. See, the church sometimes can drift into just being word, 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 word. But we're supposed to be word and deed. That's what it means to be a city on a hill. That's what it means to be a light in the world, to be a difference here, not just to kind of corral in our holy huddle while we wait for Jesus to come get us, but to actually be a presence in the community. So that if the church ever left the community, people would say, what happened to those believers who were loving us so much? Where did they go? Again, believer and unbeliever, just being a light, loving people, helping people in the ways that we have been helped. We are called to this. To be about the word, yes, and to handle the word well, and to let it take root into our heart and life and ask the Spirit to then help us to live the word, to be a difference, to help the poor, and not so that we would get praise. We don't do these things so that we would get praise. We do these things for God to get the praise. Remember, praise is not just our singing It's also our living. And when we live in these ways, God gets the praise because it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, working in us to do these things in the life of those who are needy. It's not just our singing. It's also our living. We can live in such a way that God gets the praise and it's right for God to get praise because he's king. It's right for him to get praise because he is king. Verse 10 says, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. We choose to praise because God is our eternal hope, our eternal help, and our eternal king. He's our eternal king. See, when I read verse 10, I'm blessed immediately. I'm blessed immediately because it reminds me that even though we live in some strange times, strange and changing times, we are not without a king. We are not without a king who is on his throne. The the world is not just hurtling in chaos. And it feels that way some days, but God is guiding all things in his providence and it will come to the end result that he wants it to come to. And here's what I love about God being king. He's not a tyrant. See, God is not like earthly kings who use and abuse the people who are under his rule and reign. God is a king who serves his people. God is a king who looks with compassion on those who have turned their backs on him and says, you know what? They've turned their backs on me, but I'm not going to leave them to themselves. I'm going to send my son who's going to live for them, die for them, rise one day, 
to prove that sin has been paid for, and one day we'll come back and get them. That is the kind of king that we have who serves us and guides us for all times. Again, here God is being contrasted with the prince whose reign is short. Here's another reason not to put your hope and trust in princes. See, God will reign forever. God is not on his throne and he's he's like, you know what, I got to get some big agenda items off because, you know, things are going to wrap up here. That's not going on. God is not like the politician who only gets four years and then has to plead with people, please vote for me, please vote for me. He doesn't have to do that. His tenure isn't temporary. It says that he reigns forever. And then to make sure that we get it, he says, to all generations, the credits are never going to roll on God. He reigns over all people, those who praise him and those who do not. And one day, all people will bow at his feet. Romans 4, 14, sorry, says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. He is king. All people will bow to him one day. See, remembering that God is king is healthy for us. It's healthy for us to remember that God is king because one of the things it does is that it reminds us that God is going to put everything right. That our king is going to put everything right, that it's not going to stay this way for all times, all the brokenness that we experience. Revelation, it's coming. There it is. Revelation 21 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on his throne, see it? King, said, behold, I'm making all things new. Not some things, all things. And here's my favorite part of the verse. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And true. All things will be made new. It will not stay this way. The brokenness that we experience, the hurt and the pain, all that will be wiped away. God is going to make everything right as our king. It's healthy also for us to remember that God is king because it keeps us in a place of humility. See, it's hard for me to drift in and out of pride when I remember I'm not king. That I'm actually a servant of the king. That it's not all about me. That it's actually about him. And then when I remember that, then I choose humility. I don't walk around like, hey, look at me. I'm here. Am I not important? I'm like, no, no, no. It's about God. He is king. We are here for him. And so it keeps us in a place of humility. Also, it's healthy because it reminds us that we have someone that we're accountable to. And I think about this always as a pastor, that I am accountable to the king. And sometimes that scares me. It makes me not want to be a pastor. Because I'm like, I'm going to have to, I have to explain to God the way I shepherded people 
And so you need to kind of stop and think about the people who you have authority over. And think about that. Whether it's kids or employees, whatever it is. And just think, how you treat them, how you lead them, how you shepherd them and care for them. You will have to explain that to the Lord. We are accountable to God. Hebrews 4. It says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We will give an account to God. And I don't say that to scare us. We don't have to fear our king. Right? When you read the Psalms, you see it all the time. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't fear. Trust me. I love you. It's all over the psalm. See, we don't live God-honoring lives because we're scared of our king. We live God-honoring lives because we want to hear at the end of our life, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so it's not a fear thing. It's an act of love. It's an act of praise to the one who does watch all of our moments. The writer of the psalm chooses to praise God all of his life. That's why he ends where he started. Verse 10, it says, The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. He started by calling us. Join me, he says, in praising God. He ends by saying, join me in praising God. But what do we know? We have great reasons for doing that. Because God is our our hope, our help, and our king. And so we can praise him at all times. In the moments where we're feeling on top. Some of you in the room, you're feeling that way. Today's a great day. Yeah! But some of us, we're feeling low. It doesn't feel like a great day. There's hard things in our lives. But even in that valley experience... We can praise God. Because in those low moments, you know what we can do? We can say, God, my eternal king, help me. And even in that moment, it's an act of praise. Do you know why? Because you're praying and asking the one who is in control, the one who can do all things. You're asking and pleading with him for help. And what do we know? He will help us. He will help us, our eternal hope, our eternal help, our eternal king. He will help us because even in the mountaintop experience and in the valley experience, he is there in both of them. He is faithful. There's never a moment where he leaves us to ourselves. And so today, just like the psalmist, we can choose to praise God. Not sometimes, but all times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that God speaks to us, Lord, and reminds us of the things that are true. Lord, that reminds us of who you are. God, that reminds us of what you have done in our life. And God, that reminds us that there's never a moment that we are without hope, that there's never a moment that we are without help, that there's never a moment that we are without our King who loves us so much 
that even though, Lord, we chose to sin, you chose to turn your face towards us. You chose to send your son, Jesus Christ, who, Lord, it says that when we see him one day face to face, that we will be made like him. Lord, there's a day coming where all things will be made new, both the world and us. We have that hope because you are a God of hope. And so I pray, Lord, now that we would choose to praise you, not just with our singing, but with our talking and with our living. Lord, I pray we would leave here today with that kind of commitment in our heart. Thank you, Lord, for your love and that you are going to help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.